0: For those of you who have been with us for a year, a year and a half, a couple of years now, you know that there's a topic that I preach on twice a year. This happens to be one of those Sundays. It's the time that, that we come together, we focus and we look at and we study the directions that the Lord has given us in regard to finance. It's an area that is very important to the church, but it is an area that that I typically will only bring up twice a year because it is important. There, There are some times that churches and pastors will look at a couple of topics that they just won't touch on anymore. One of them certainly being finance. There's some churches that, that struggle teaching about sin and, and teaching about hell. But it is something that, that we have to do, that we have to preach on. In the book of Acts, in chapter 20, verse 27, Luke writes this, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying, I am bringing you the entire counsel. I, I'm bringing you and, and preaching everything that is in here. And that's certainly a responsibility of the church is to not shun away from anything that the Bible teaches us and not to be embarrassed about it. Sometimes when we get to a sermon that touches on finance and kind of say, you know what, this is great, but it's a somebody else sermon. I've heard this, but it's for somebody else. In a church our size, and we could look around today and we can see our church. This is good representation. There's a, there's a few who are missing this morning. But if we look around this morning, this is us. This is us right now. It'd be safe to say there is no somebody else. It is us. It gives us an opportunity and reminds us that we invite God into all areas of our lives. It's quite often that we'll invite God into our our hobbies. We'll invite God into our work sometimes by, maybe we, maybe we put a cross on our screensaver. We invite God into our private time as we talk to him about prayer. We'll, we might even invite God into our workouts as we're on the treadmill and say, please let me just make it one more mile, right? There's so many areas in our life that we'll invite God into, but sometimes when it comes to our finance, we'll put up a do not disturb sign right next to our possessions at times we'll we'll, we'll just mention to God you know what um, this 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 is mine I'm not ready I'm not ready yet to to turn this over to allow you into this area and we keep our hands on an area that God created for us all through the New Testament or the Old Testament rather and into the New Testament we see what's almost referred to exclusively as a church word we hear the word tithe in the Bible. We don't see the word tithe really any other place in our society. We rarely see it on, on billboards. We don't see it on the side of buses and advertisements. We don't see it at the movies. It is exclusively, for the most part, a church word. And when we hear the word tithe, we associate it exclusively with what we give to God. The word tithe literally means 10%. The tithe is different. Offerings is, it's exactly what it is. It is an offering. It is us offering something to God that is ours, that falls into the 90% that says, I'm going to, God, I'm going to give you this. It is an offering of, of mine. The tithe, however, is God's, it belongs to God. It is. It is what is his. In in the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, in chapter 2, and verse number 8, the Lord says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He goes on in Job chapter 41, verse 11. He says this, God says, who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. God has made a very clear declaration of what the tithe is and whose it is. And I know that leads to the question, and we're going to get to that in a minute, about what are New Testament believers to do with the tithe. But I want to go back into the tithe, and I want to look at the history of this. And I want, to, I want you to see something that's very important. As God began the structure of his church and began the structure of ministry as he moved his people into the promised land. If we go back into the book of Exodus and we see that, that God has taken the Hebrews from Egypt and they were out into the desert and they wandered into the desert for years and he brought them into the promised land. God brought them into the promised land with not only a mission for his ministry, but he had a mission and he had a plan in place to take care of the church and to take care of the ministry of his people. There were 12 tribes in a group of about a million people that walked from Egypt into the promised land. They were split up into 12 different tribes. Out of these 12 tribes, 11 of these tribes were given land, an inheritance. Two and a half of these tribes had an inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. The rest of them, except for one tribe, had an inheritance of land on the west side of the Jordan. This is the the area, the property that they were given. That was their inheritance. Only 11 of the tribes received land. There was one tribe, the Levites, that didn't receive land. That was not their inheritance. God had something in mind for them. And it was part of his mission to manage the church and to and to manage it and to and to work the spiritual well-being and the soul care of his people. I want you to write this down. This is point number 1 in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the very first time, you'll find on the left-hand side of your bulletin there's some fill in the blanks And every Sunday, we're going to give you those fill-in-the-blanks. They'll be up here on the big screen, and I'll give them to you here. Point number one in your notes this morning, God created a path for funding the ministry of His church. It's not a path that random pastors throughout the world have created and said, let's go with this. This is a path that God has created Now, I want to tell you first and foremost, right off the bat, that I'm not one of these prosperity gospel preachers. I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'm not one that's going to tell you that the more you give, the better you'll live, or the more you pray, the better your day, that, that, that you give and it's going to come back to you tenfold, twentyfold, that the, that the blessings are going to come back to you in finance. So the Lord doesn't tell us that at all. But what he has told us through the story of the, of, of the Hebrews coming into the promised land is that he has created a path for funding the ministry of his church. In the book of Numbers, chapter 18, we start to see the process that God has put in place. And I'm going to read you some verses here from Numbers chapter 18. Verse number one, it says this And then the Lord said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your relatives from the tribe of Levi will be held responsible for any offenses related to the sanctuary. What God has said is that Aaron and his sons and the priests and the tribe of Levi, he says, You're in charge. You're in charge of the sanctuary. You're in charge of the temple. So what God is doing is he's taking people, this one tribe that was not given land, and he's putting them in charge. He's saying, I want you to manage the spiritual health and well-being of my people. He goes on in Numbers chapter 18, verse number 2, and he says this. He's talking to Aaron. And he says, bring your relatives of the tribe of Levi to assist you and your sons as you perform the sacred duties. Verse 3, but as the Levites go about their assigned duties at the temple, the Levites must join you in fulfilling their responsibilities for the care and maintenance of the tabernacle. I want you to see something really important. What God has done is he's brought these 12 tribes into the land, into the promised land. Eleven of them he's given territory One tribe, he gave responsibility. He says, this is going to be the tribe that is going to come into the tabernacle. You're going to work. You're going to manage the the soul care of my people. He went as far as, as around the temple. All of the other tribes, the 11 tribes, would make room in their territory for Levites to come and manage the tabernacle. What God is doing... It is he's putting in place the work of ministry, of church ministry. He's saying, not only am I going to create a land for my people, but I am going to create a church, I'm going to create a place where they're going to come and they're going to worship me here. I am setting up a structure of where they can come and where they are going to worship me. He goes on in Numbers chapter 18, we're in verse number 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, You priests will receive no allotment of land or share of property among the people of Israel. As for the tribe of Levi, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes and the offerings of the land of Israel. This is why the Lord put these tithes in place. We see this in verse number 31. For it is for compensation for serving in the tabernacle. Now, I don't want you to take it as where the Lord is simply put together a paycheck for those who He is putting over the tabernacle. What the Lord is doing is He is funding ministry. He's not simply funding people. If you think about the tabernacle, you think about a building that in each of these towns that, that the 11, uh, other 11 tribes had, there had to be in a meeting place. That meeting place is going to require it's, it's going to require building, which is going to require bricks, and it's going to require labor. There's other things that it's going to re- require. If you put it into our modern context, it's going to require a transportation ministry, right? In our modern context, it's going to require TV screens, it's going to require cords and equipment. These are things that, that much earlier, of course, they wouldn't have had the electronics, they wouldn't have had social media that they needed to, 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 to manage, but there were other aspects of ministry that the Lord provided through the tabernacle, and He provided a way for them to be funded. Ministry requires funding. The Lord not only put in place the people to manage the soul care of the tabernacle and of the other tribes, but he says, I'm going to put in place a way for this to be funded as well. He says, and I'm, I'm calling this, this is the tithe. This leads us to the second point in your notes this morning. We're going to look deeper into this. God has written a prescription for our finance. It's like going to the doctor. God has written a prescription. He writes a note and he says, here, this is the way, I want you to follow this. I want you to follow this prescription. What happens when you get a prescription? The doctor writes on there and he says, I want you to take this. I want you to take this pill once in the morning with food, once in the evening with food. I want you to follow these instructions and it's going to manage your health care over the time that you're taking this prescription, right? God has a prescription in place for our finance. He has given us rules and he says, I want you to follow this. Why? Because it's for spiritual health. This is part of spiritual health and I want you to pay attention to this. One thing that God put down on this prescription list to us and he had given to the Hebrews as they came into the land of Israel he told them that I want you to give of your firstfruits. It's not a term that we use very much anymore. Most of us are not farmers. Most of us don't have a large agricultural group of maybe animals in our backyard that, that we use to, to finance our family. Most of us don't have orchards of, of different of like figs and olives that are growing in our backyards. But we do have firstfruits. What God had asked of his people was to give of their first fruits. It's the first of their harvest to give to God. He says this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10. He says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you, and you harvest its first crops, bring to the temple a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. God had asked them, He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tithe your first fruits. We know what the word tithe is, right? We've talked about that 10%. But he says, I want you to do this from your first fruits, from the first out of your harvest. Again, most of us don't have a harvest that we go out into the back 20 and we pick out of the acreage behind our home. Our harvest comes a little bit different these days. It comes in the way of what we make. It comes in the way of our household earnings, right? Our harvest comes to us typically in the form of, maybe some of us still get paper checks. Maybe some of us have direct deposit that comes in. That's our harvest, right? God has said, your first fruits. He he had asked of the Hebrews. He had asked of their first fruits. Ours comes out of our check. But is the instruction any different, or how can we relate that? We can easily relate that to the first 10%. If we're working full time, let's say we have a full time job, we're working 40 hours in a week, we work another 40 hours next week, we get paid twice a month, that's 80 hours and a paycheck. We're looking at, at what is 10%, what is the equivalent of that in hours? Be equivalent to about eight hours, right? But see, here's the interesting part. When God asks for first fruits, He's not asking for the last eight hours. He's asking for, rather, the first eight hours, right? If you think you go to work Monday through Friday, you work eight hours a day, we can equate that to where God's asking for Monday, the very first Monday of the pay period, right? Not so much asking for Friday. Although when it comes to the check, There's ways that we can manage this. I want you to imagine that somebody in your home, maybe it's mom, mom's birthday is coming up, and you have spent all day making a beautiful cake for mom from scratch. It's not from a box. You're going to bring all the ingredients together, you're going to do a lot of mixing today. You've been studying on YouTube how to properly make those neat little roses with that piping bag, right? And so you've made this beautiful cake for mom for her birthday. All the family comes over in the evening. Matter of fact, it's a surprise party. You've got to be careful because mom's a little bit older. You don't want to surprise her too much because we'll end up in the hospital. But it's like a surprise, right? And so what happens is there's one point during this party where you go to the refrigerator Kind of the lights come down. Mom's turning 80, and you've decided not to put 80 candles on there because it's a fire hazard, so you just have an 8 and a 0. Remember those? You have the 8 and the 0. So you bring out this cake to Mom, and there's the 8 and the 0. And you place this beautiful cake on the table. Light the candles, everyone sings. Mom blows out her two candles because she could still do that. And then what you do is you take... You take your knife and you make a beautiful cut, cutting out this first piece. And you take this first slice of this beautiful cake and you give it to mom. And you say, you are the guest of honor. I want you to have the first piece. I've been laboring over this all day. It's a beautiful cake. Over the course of the next hour, the kids get some cake and and the other relatives, aunts and uncles, they get a little bit of cake and then there's some left over and nobody takes it and so what you do is you take this, you take the rest of this cake, you put the little plastic cover on it and you go and you put it in the refrigerator. It's in there the next day, it's in there the day after that, you look in it and you're like, eh, calories, I don't think so, I'll pass. Right? You open up the refrigerator again on Thursday, you say, eh, calories all pass. It stays in there for three or four days. What happens is eventually you look at it and you say, you know what, I don't really know if that's going to be good to eat. And I kind of need that space. So I'll be honest with you, in my house, sometimes we take those leftovers, sometimes the kids will eat them I don't know, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever taken leftovers out of your refrigerator and you've taken them out back and you've given them to the dog. I don't know if you have. Okay, there's some hands back there in the back. Sometimes I've taken leftovers out back and I've given them to the dog. What happens with our finance though at times is we don't give God our first fruits, we give God rather our leftovers. We come to God every Sunday and, and we've looked at this prescription that God has written to us, but instead of bringing Him our first fruits that come out of our checks, sometimes what ends up happening is we bring to God whatever we can find on our way out the door on the way to church, or maybe we find some coin that we put in our cup holder before we get out of the car to come into the church building. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not our first fruits, that's our leftovers, Right? That's giving to God something that, like, oh, I forgot. I kind of need to have something here. God's not asking for our leftovers, God's asking for our first fruits. He's asking that our tithe that we give that is his, that we give him what is his, but we give it to him as we're rejoicing and giving it to him because he is the guest of honor when we come on Sunday morning, we are giving him something that we have slaved over for days that we worked so hard and we want him to have the very first piece. We want to cut out that first 10% that God has asked for and we want to honor him with our first fruits because I'll, I'll be honest with you when I give out my leftovers I never look at it as if I am honoring my dog I look at it as if I'm just kind of feeding him something that was in. It's like a treat for him, but I don't look at it as honor. God says, honor me with the tithe. Honor me with your first fruits. Just like we honored mom with that first beautiful slice of cake. That's what God is saying is I want you to honor me with the first of what you bring in. This leads us, though, I, I know that some are sitting and saying, well, Pastor, we're New Testament believers. And honestly, I don't see the word tithe. I don't see that Jesus is telling us how much to tithe. I'm not, I'm not seeing that Jesus gives us a, a dollar figure. I want you to see this. We're going to talk about this for a minute. Point number three in your notes this morning. The New Testament, of, the New Testament followers of Jesus knew how to tithe, and they knew how much. You know why Jesus never said at any point, why he never said, okay, you know what, I want you to give this percentage. Because everyone who he was talking to, they knew. They knew what to do. They knew how to tithe. That's what they did. It was part of their culture. And through the entire New Testament, Jesus never takes our eyes off the tithe. Jesus actually, in all the... In all the conversation that he had about the Pharisees, and let's face it, Jesus was not terribly fond of the Pharisees and the religious religious leaders of his day. And he certainly didn't praise them for very much of what they did, but he did praise them about one thing that they did. He praised them about their tithing. I want you to see this. We're in Matthew chapter 23. In verse number 23, Jesus says this. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Watch this. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, you tithe and you're asking for praise for that? Good job tithing. But you're ignoring these other things that I need you to pay attention to. You're ignoring ignoring justice, you're ignoring mercy, you're ignoring faith. These you should do without ignoring what you're currently doing. He's saying this to the Pharisees. He's saying, you're tithing, good job. Keep it up. Don't ignore these other things. If there was ever a point in the New Testament where Jesus was going to take away the tithe, change the tithe that would have been right here, told the Pharisees, yeah, you know what? Hey, good job with your tithing, but you don't really have to do that. He's not telling them that they didn't have to do that. He's saying, good job with that. Keep up your tithing, but don't forget about these other aspects. Sometimes in our modern day culture, we look first at things like justice, mercy, and faith, but we forget about tithing. We forget about giving our first fruits to God. We would never, any of us, even think about reaching our hand into the offering bag or into the offering plate and taking money out as it passed by, right? That honestly, it'd probably be unfathomable to us. We, we wouldn't even think about that. But to tell you the truth, that's what God is saying that we're actually doing when we're not tithing. You say, wow, really? Yeah, I want you to come back with me into the book of Malachi. It's an Old Testament book. We're in chapter 3. I'm going to read you verses 8 through 12. There's this conversation that God is having. And God says this, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God says, you've cheated me with the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. There is the command that God is given. Now here's the thing, Malachi is writing at the end of the Old Testament, God gave the commands to tithe back in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, way back, and His people still struggled with it. For centuries they struggled with it. But God not only gives a command for tithing and obedience to the tithe, but He gives a blessing with it. He gives a blessing for obedience. He says this, it continues on in Malachi chapter 3. He says, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant For I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Lord says, I will open up the windows of heaven. I will bless you so much. He says, obedience to the tithe will lead to blessings. Now, We talked a minute ago. I am not going to stand up here and tell you that obedience to the tithe is going to directly lead to financial blessings. As a matter of fact, if there were families here who who have practiced obedience to the tithe, chances are they could be a witness to you as well to say, you know what? It's not all financial, the blessings that come from God when we are obedient to him. There are blessings that God provides that are above financial blessings. If we were to limit God to only giving us financial blessings for our obedience, imagine the things that God could do for us, but he can't now because we've limited to finance. That we've said, you know, all I want is finance. Think about the ways that God can bless you that have nothing to do with finance. Health. Family. Yeah. Living areas. We've talked about I've mentioned this before. It could be that phone call from that family member that you haven't heard for from ten years. That calls out of the blue. It could be a, a heart that it can be a heart that's softening to this resentment that you've had for each other for years. God has so many blessings, you can't limit him to finance. That's just one small area of our lives. God says, don't limit me. Watch the way I can bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. But he has some direction, and he has some rules for his blessings. Would it be fair to say, the one who gives blessings also has the opportunity, and he has the right to give us directions on how to receive his blessings? Right? If God can bless... And he will bless. He's one that has the right to say, I bless, but I'm asking for obedience. We bless our children the same way, don't we? God blesses his children the same way. How many times have we possibly, throughout their school year, we've had a blessing that we want to give them, but they haven't followed the rules. We cannot give them this blessing because we're teaching them a lesson, right? Maybe we're expecting expecting certain grades to come from our children, and there are blessings that come in our household because of that. There are blessings that come with our kids' obedience to their chore list. We bless our kids according to obedience. Isn't it fair that God does the same thing? See? God has rules for us. We've talked about it before. Why does God give us rules? Why does he restrict us with our rules? God doesn't restrict us with his rules. God protects us with his rules. Imagine if all God did was bless us for doing whatever it is that we wanted. We have access to his blessing, but we are avoiding obedience. Doesn't that take his blessing and it takes the significance away from it right it doesn't have any significance to our children if we give them all the blessings that's supposed to come with obedience but we're not requiring obedience see God has the same lesson for us he just says there's blessings for you i'm just asking you to stay this course this whole idea of tithing I know that it's I know it becomes a, a difficult idea if it's something that isn't practiced all the time or it's something that we haven't practiced in a while. But I want to tell you this, and I want you to to write this down. This is so important. It's the final point in your notes this morning. Tithing isn't simply about obedience. Tithing is asking this question can we trust God to help us live on the remaining ninety percent? God's not asking for 57% of our harvest. He's not asking us for 80% of our harvest. He's asking us for 10% of our harvest. He's asking for our tithes. He's actually asking us to give Him back a small portion of what is already His. We've talked about it many times. Nothing we have is ours, right? Our breath isn't ours. Our days aren't ours. Our family isn't ours. Our health isn't ours. It's all a gift. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Our finance is a gift from God. What God is asking for is that first slice of the cake that we've worked on so hard. He's just asking for that. As opposed to the leftovers that's been sitting in the fridge for a week that we simply just need to make room for. When you look at the New Testament, one-sixth of all the words that Jesus spoke, one-sixth of all the words were about finance or money or material things. One-third of all of of the parables focused around the idea of money focused around material things. It was an important topic to Jesus to get this across to us that this is an important part of our lives because if we let money dominate us, we will let money dominate us. If we let money be our first concern, then our finance is our first concern and that means that God isn't. He says, the first thing that I want you to have your heart focused on is me. Me. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the fact that if God gives life, He will give what you need to sustain life. He'll give you the gifts. We talked about Him saying, look at the lilies of the field, they don't work, but they're clothed. Look at the birds, they don't work, but, but there's food. He says, I'm going to provide for my children. We also mentioned that God makes this promise to provide for His children. He's not making this promise to everyone. He's making the opportunity to become one of His children to everyone. If you're a children of God, He wants to provide for you. And He has blessings for you. He's simply saying, I want you to follow these guidelines. When God... Set these guidelines down to the nation of Israel, and he says, I'm going to give, I'm sending 12 tribes to the promised land. I'm going to take one tribe, they're going to be your spiritual caregivers, and I'm going to spread them among you. And we're going to finance the temple, we're going to take care of these families, we're going to finance the ministry of the temple, we're going to finance the things in it, the opportunity to reach others in the community. God's putting all of this plan in place. But He's saying this. He's saying, Israel, there is no somebody else. He says, I'm not asking this from the other nations who are outside of these tribes. They're not tithing to you. He says, Israel, look around. This is for you. And this is for us to take care of. He says there is no somebody else. Today we we look at a topic that is very easily turned into a somebody else sermon. But if we all looked to somebody else, there would be nobody else. This is an us sermon. This is an us mentality. This is something that God has given to us. There's a reason that I bring this up twice a year. We talk about this the Sunday before Thanksgiving every year. And we talk about it the Sunday before Memorial Day. I was a little bit late getting into summer this year. But there's a reason why. Every year, traditionally, church finance is going to drop about 20 to 30% through the holidays. It just is. Starting about right now until March, we're not going to make budget. It doesn't happen. When we get into the summertime, people will go on vacation and traditionally forget about the church while they're on vacation and through the summertime. I don't know in reading the Bible and reading through God's commands that I've ever seen where he has said, you know what, I want you to go 10% up until November and then you, you know, drop down for a couple of months and then come back. He says, I need you to take care of the church. I need you to take care of the ministry because we continue to do ministry through the holidays. We continue to do ministry year-round. We have to reach people for Christ year-round in our community. Amen? We can't stop. In your bulletin is a couple of handouts this morning. I know there's a lot of stuff in your bulletin. I'm gonna show you one here that it has a it kind of has a chart on it there's a sliding scale it's the steps to cheerful giving and I have marked on here ten percent and I have this as a target not necessarily the full goal because we can go above and beyond this right we can give God offerings We say, you know what, this is something that I really want to give to God, but I'm going to challenge you to do something. There's two sheets we're going to talk about the 90-day tithe challenge in just a moment. But I'm going to challenge you that if you and your household are not in a position to where you've worked into full 10% tithe yet, I'm going to ask you to find a percentage number on this chart and I'm going to ask you to dedicate that percentage of your income to the Lord. And then every three months I want you to pray and I want you to be in deep communication with God and increase that by half a percent every three months. And trust God. And look at it and say, you know what, where where is God leading me? Can I trust God with the remaining 90%? If you start at 5%, can I trust God to live off the remaining 95%? I want you to watch. I want you to watch what God will do. Find a percentage. On the back of this, I gave you a couple, of, um, a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. A couple of math problems, kind of simple math problems here that you can find, and, and you, can put, you can put income before tax, multiply it by .10 to find out, what, find out what that tithe equals. And then on the bottom, it has the four ways that we give. You can take that total tithe, divide it by four, by our four weeks of the Sundays. But I wanted you to have this, that you can see, you know what? Because some people this morning are going to say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I can start out from from nothing or from my leftovers to a full 10% of my first fruits. I want to say, you know what? That's okay. Let's start somewhere. Let's start at 4%. Let's start at 3, let's start at 5, but make it systematic. We're going to set, we're going to set a number and, and say, God, you know what, I'm going to trust you with this. And we're going to grow into this together because God will bless and God will show you, you know what, you can trust me here. We trust Him in so many other areas of our life. We absolutely can trust God with our finance. If he's written our prescription, just like our doctor has written our prescription, don't we trust our doctor on medications that we know nothing about? Honestly, I don't know what you're giving me, doctor, but I'm trusting you that you know what you're giving me, that it's safe for me. I'm gonna go to the pharmacy and I'm going to take it by the directions that you put on the bottle. I'm going to take it every morning with food. I'm gonna take it in the evening because I trust you. God has written us a prescription. Can we trust God? absolutely we can trust God. Amen? The other sheet that you have here, I told you last week that it's our winter 90-day tithe challenge. For those of you that are ready, I'm going to challenge you for 90 days to give God a full 10% tithe. All you have to do here is fill out this form. You fill it out, you put it in the offering plate, this isn't something that goes up on the big board and people know who all signed up for this. As a matter of fact, it stays in a drawer. The 90-day tithe challenge, it says this. It says from today through late February. You're going to commit to a full tithe, a full 10% tithe to the church, to God's church. If you're a member of our church, I'm going to ask that, that you commit a, a full 10% tithe, the 90-day tithe challenge to This church. But I want to tell you this this is what the tithes challenge does. Is you can come up in ninety days and you can say, Pastor, and this is a private conversation, absolutely private conversation, no questions asked. You can say, You know what? I did this for ninety days, and I really don't see that God blessed me the way that I thought he was going to. No questions asked. We're going to give you back every single cent for your ninety day tithes. Every single cent. We'll give it right back to you. No questions asked. Nobody else knows about this. Actually, to tell you the truth, I might not know about it. It's going to go through finance team. Nobody knows about it. Some of you did this in the spring. Some of you know how the Lord blesses. Some of you know from when we did this in the spring... That going into it, there are questions and marks about can I trust God to live off the ninety percent? Some of you don't have those question marks anymore. Amen. That you absolutely know you can trust God with His word. We trust God with salvation. Right? We trust God that he says, my son died on a cross for your sins. That, that, that if you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. We trust that. We can absolutely trust God here. I know that the entire service has been about a very difficult topic. We talk about finance. And I'll promise you this, outside of major finance issues in the church that I need to bring up. And you know that I've come down here and we've, had a, and we've had a chat about six months ago. I'll tell you, we're not entirely out of the woods yet. We don't have any external funding partners right now. Maybe next year. But outside of that, I won't be bringing this topic up for six months. We'll talk about it going into summer. But I want you to know that the Lord makes promises. And the Lord keeps His promises. He absolutely keeps His promises. He just asks us to trust Him with these promises. I'm going to ask if I can have a couple of, a couple of adults that could come forward. Again, remember, there are four ways that our church can give. Sunday mornings, we're always going to have this go around. Online, There is a link at the website, there is the Church Center app, which is a great way to give, and you can text. You can text in an amount, literally, I said that I'll give tithe at a stoplight. I don't know if that's legal, actually, to tell you the truth. I should pull over and give my tithe. I get paper checks, so I I, I zap it in right here, I give it like 24 hours, and then tomorrow I'll be on my way somewhere, and, and... but it's that fast. The Lord blesses those who are obedient to him. He has a prescription to his blessings. One of the things I am most excited about next year is launching our Paris Valley Community Church Youth Group. I'm so excited about that. Ladies and gentlemen, our new ministry is going to require funding, but the Lord has put in a process us to fund the ministry of the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.